Bigfoot Society would like to thank the following sponsors for helping make the podcast possible. The Singular Fortean Society has combined open and honest paranormal investigation and journalism since 2016. Visit the Society at Singular Fortean for all the latest weird news and more. Come with us and investigate the impossible. Welcome to the Bigfoot Society Clubhouse, where we discuss a new or old topic in cryptozoology every week. Just hang out and have a good time. I do need to let you know that by hanging out with us on stage and talking in the discussion, you are giving consent to uh, being recorded, which will be used in a future Bigfoot Society podcast, uh, YouTube video, could be anything that you could imagine coming down the pipeline. Uh, if you're not comfortable with that, uh, please go ahead and move on down to the audience. Uh, sit back, relax, have a good time. Again, thanks to all for uh, hanging out. And, uh, let's just have a good time. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming back to the uh, Bigfoot Society Clubhouse. This week, what we're going to do is there's a group of us hanging out, and we are going to share our favorite uh, Bigfoot stories, kind of like we're around the uh, campfire. So I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to start out, and I have actually have an article here. Um, <clears throat> it's from, from alaskamagazine.com. Uh, it says, Something's afoot in Port Chatham. So... I'm going to go ahead and read through this article. It's pretty cool. Uh, it says, Port Chatham, a bay on the southern tip of the Kenai, and a former village of the same name hardly seems like a setting for an inexplicable terror and fright, but a series of mysterious disappearances and deaths where the Kenai Mountains narrow before plunging into the North Pacific gave birth to rumors that began in the 1930s and continue to this day. And the rumors all point the same thing. Something's not right around Port Chatham. This gets pretty crazy. Uh, take, for instance, Andrew Kamluk, who had gone out logging in 1931. He was found dead in the woods from a blow to the head. A piece of log-moving equipment nearby may have been used as a weapon. Around the same time, Elder Simeon Kazvanak of nearby Port Graham, present-day Nanwalek, said that a gold miner headed out for the day and just disappeared. No sign of the prospector was ever found. Somewhere later, Tom Larson went out to chop wood for fish traps when he saw something large and hairy on the beach. He ran back home for his rifle, and when he returned to the water's edge, the thing just stared at him. Larson could never explain why he did not fire. Then in 1973, an Anchorage newspaper ran a piece on a retired school teacher who had taught in Port Chatham during World War II. She told of cannery workers who went into the mountains to hunt doll sheep and bear but never returned. Search parties found no trace of them. Then rumors spread that a mutilated body, torn and dismembered in a fashion that didn't resemble wounds from a bear attack, had been swept by rains down the mountain and into the lagoon. And other rumors include specifics of the beast's features, hunters following signs of a moose came across man-like footprints that exceeded 18 inches in length. As they closed on the moose, they realized that they and the owner of the big feet were tracking the same animal. The hunter soon came across matted-down grass that held indications of an apparent life-and-death struggle. Beyond the grass, the hunters found no moose tracks, but the large man-like footprints continued upwards into the cloud-draped mountains. Have you guys ever heard of... Uh, of the Port Chatham stuff before this is pretty crazy. It's an it's a new one for me. I've only heard of it from you, I think. 
Oh, was this the one that uh, Shannon Legrow had in that one episode, actually? I'm not sure about that, but I've heard of it. Uh, there's this guy I know on social media, Larry Beans Baxter. Okay. He, uh, I think he's done some stuff on that documentary-wise. I know. Oh, nice. They've done some like work in the Port Chatham area. Definitely, you know, it's that like rain coast or rainforest area of Alaska kind of coastal area where you know it's sort of an extension of British Columbia. Seems kind of cool. That's crazy. It, um, it's just crazy to think that. Like, I think the story goes where it's like the whole uh, fishing cannery village kind of became. Um, Kind of everyone got ran out by whatever was going on there. It's just a crazy story to think about. But, um, Greg, do you mind going next and sharing what your uh, story is? Sure. Um, yeah, my name's Greg. Uh, I run All the Weird on Instagram, and I host a Star Wars podcast called Order 66. Um, I'm going to recount a story that was told to me firsthand. Um, it's a gentleman who does not wish to be identified, nor his location. So all I can say is that he's in the province of British Columbia, near the near the west coast, kind of um, like middle British Columbia. Um, okay, so when he was nine years old, he first saw a Sasquatch. He was driving with his mother. They were doing about 60 kilometers an hour. I don't know what that is in miles, but um, he said it. His mother did, didn't want to stop because she was scared, but he clearly saw a nine, what he feels to be a nine foot, about 800 pound Sasquatch standing in the middle of the road. And later, on in life his wife driving down the same road about eight kilometers from that location spotted a sasquatch on the side of the road she was driving with her young nieces at the time um, his whole uh, he's a indigenous person so his whole uh, sort of village they they all, uh, well, not everybody, but there's many stories about Sasquatch, uh, like watching the people and um, just observing them, being curious. And uh, I guess a couple of hunters came upon a Sasquatch up in a tree, about 50 feet up in a tree. And when it made eye contact with them, it felt to them like it shocked them and they had the sudden urge just to run away. So there's that like mind speak kind of thing going on there. Um, it's one of the freakiest things he told me was that they uh, habituate the area so regularly that they've learned people's names by mimicking them and then associating it with that person um, can everybody hear me okay? Yeah, Greg, that that is an amazing story. Actually, like, it's like you don't, I don't think you hear of a lot of stories of seeing Sasquatch up in trees, or have you heard um, any other stories, or that's 
That seems like it's pretty unique I've, to me. I've heard stories of them in trees before. And mm. I think that if more people looking for Sasquatch would actually keep their eyes up in the trees, they might notice a bit more too. Because if they suddenly disappear, like what directions, options do they have to go? And if I could climb like, a, like an ape, I'd go up a tree. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Yeah, I mean, this kind of goes back to the discussion of juveniles being seen climbing up in trees, right? And the possibility that, uh, you know, there's some videos like the New York baby footage, supposedly, mm-hmm. of things being seen up in the trees. And, you know, when humans are younger, we typically climb in trees more. It's a little bit easier. There have been sightings. I, I, a guy in Pennsylvania told me he had something jump out of a tree right as he went under it and ran the other way. And it was, you know, large hairy creature looking thing so there's definitely stories like that i've heard of a few from alaska actually i think one of the ones i don't know if it was one of these documentaries they talked about alaska one of these sightings where something jumped out of a tree uh, like a sasquatch they saw it so kind of interesting yeah this guy is not too too far from alaska it was like probably a four to five hour drive from alaska Man, that is awesome, dude. Those that, that was some great stories, Greg. Okay, you can go ahead and pick the next one up. We're kind of going to do like we did last week. We're going to pass the mic around, so go ahead. Well, Alex, man, you got your voice warmed <laughs> up, so hit it. All right, cool. Yeah, I'm going to share one of my favorite Sasquatch stories. Uh, it's kind of something. It, I wouldn't say it really got me into it, but it definitely got me more aware in my local area of Sasquatch and Bigfoot stuff going on. It's the Hollis Flea Monster story, and it has an awesome name to go along with it. So long story short, it was in 1977 during that general time of weird, uh, strange stuff going on. Lots of uh, incidents going on then. That's the same year of the Sandra Mancy photo. A year before that was the Air Bear Road incident in Whitehall. Lots of weird stuff going on during that time period. Uh, so here is the newspaper clipping from the Nashua Telegraph, which is the town that I live in, city rather, in New Hampshire, uh, about this incident. And I'll get into some of the more specifics. So it says, Lowell man flees Hollis after sighting monster. Police here are awaiting the return of a Lowell, Massachusetts man identified only as Mr. St. Louis after he reported seeing a 10-foot tall hairy monster Saturday night at the Hollis Flea Market. Chief Paul Bosquet said the man came into the police headquarters about 10.30 Saturday night and reported the strange incident. The Lowell man quickly started his truck and sped off from the police station where he reported the incident. Police went to the scene but could find no evidence of the animal. Bosquet said the area in which the truck was parked was covered in pine needles and no footprints were found. St. Louis was scheduled to set up an area at the flea market Sunday, but he never returned and left a trailer at the site. He has not been heard of since. The Hollis police chief said the animal may have been a bear that came out of the nearby woods in search of food from a nearby rubbish container. That's the basically the newspaper article. So what's really interesting about this story is it was this little town in southern New Hampshire. Uh, I grew up 10 minutes from where this happened. Uh, and there were three sightings in 1977 of a blonde hair-covered Sasquatch. And this sighting was famous because it happened at the flea market. And it was so interesting that uh, an anthropologist from Harvard named Carlton Kuhn actually got involved in the case. And he wrote a paper afterwards called Why There Has to Be a Sasquatch. 
and just a little bit of an excerpt from there. He says, even before I read John Green's book, Sasquatch, The Apes Among Us, I accepted the Sasquatch existence. A year ago, as a representative of the Peabody Museum of Harvard, I was sent to a town in New Hampshire just over the Massachusetts border to investigate a sighting. So he goes on to talk about a lot of the stuff that happened. He did a polygraph on the man and his son. So basically, the story of what happened at the flea market was this man was out there with his family. They were setting up for the flea market, and they happened to experience something shaking the trailer. Uh, you know, they, they were kind of weren't really sure what it was. This man, Gerald St. Louis, that was his name. He got outside, and there's two versions of the story. In one, something brushes his shoulder. In the other one, he just, uh, you know, shines a light on something. But either way, he ends up seeing this hairy, tall creature covered in long, uh, you know, shaggy fur that's sort of a blondish color and it smells like rotting fish well he got so scared that he basically got out of there his sons were in the car as well in the, in the truck they left their trailer there and just got out of dodge and that's when they went to the police station and filed the report according to the report two women also saw this blonde sasquatch one when he crouched in front of a stone wall another one when, as he was walking across the highway both women refused to be interviewed and let it be known that they had gone away so, uh, yeah, it's just an interesting story from this area. And like I said, they still, even if you go to the Hollis Flea Market website, they still have it listed on there as when they were in the news kind of thing, even though that happened in 1977. There haven't been as many sightings in Hollis, in, to my knowledge, since then. But it's one of my favorite stories, you know, the Hollis Flea Monsters, they call it. That is awesome. That's like one of the most New England things where it's like, I love it how it combines flea markets with Bigfoot. Like, dude, that is great. Thank you, Alex. Sure. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, I guess I'll pick uh, pick my buddy Mike. Let's see what Mike has uh, up his sleeve. Hey, Mike. Hey. Want to introduce yourself and uh, tell people where they can find you? Uh, I'm I'm Mike. Uh, I'm uh, with uh, Tactical Bigfoot Research. Uh, I'm up in Western New York. Uh, I also work with uh, Nestra, uh, Steve Culls, the Squatch Detective, and Eric Altman's crew down in Pennsylvania with the uh, Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society. Um, do a lot of research up there, but you can find me on Facebook and Instagram or on my podcast, uh, Where's My Sage? So uh, different medias, YouTube and uh, all the wonderful podcast locations. I didn't really come in uh, with a story too much tonight, uh, so I apologize for that. But uh, I guess the best one I can think of off the top of my head is one of my guys uh, during the uh, 90s was uh, assigned to a military unit and was working in South America. And he was working with some indigenous tribes down there. And he and his fire team were working with the, the natives. They were working in a small valley and uh, late at night, you know, working on the cover of darkness, just those good old-fashioned angled flashlights with the, the red lens. So, you know, that late 1980s military surplus, not that the new LED lights. And they heard something moving up in front of them. Uh, when they lit up the uh, object in front of them, what was moving, uh, they came across the Mapinguari of South America. Uh, they were in Ecuadorian jungles. There, I've talked to a couple of the other gentlemen that were with my, my buddy Ray, and uh, they lit this thing up, 
he did a full description. They were able to see the face, you know, with that light, low light, uh, red light. Um, very large, eight foot or so. And they said the features were both primate and human. And over the next two weeks while they were working through this area, they were harassed multiple times uh, through that area. Um, they did have firearms with them. Um, they did, you know, point their firearms at the, uh, the creature, but they were trying to keep fire discipline in what they were doing so they wouldn't be noticed on, on the project they were on. But the local natives actually got down on their knees and started praying to uh, the creature uh, and it eventually it did the usual turn and, and walked its way back into the jungle. Uh, but for, like I said, for two weeks, they had this thing working right alongside them. Uh, I heard this story about uh, two years ago, and within the last four months, I've actually had another member of the unit uh, didn't even realize that we were on, just happened to catch our podcast because uh, I had a couple other uh, specialists on and uh, other investigators. And... Uh, one was on YouTube, one was on Facebook, and a guy came back to me after the show and said, hey, I was with Ray, described everything to a T, uh, what went on, and they had no clue that either of them was, was talking at the same time. So uh, from talking to those guys and some other friends that are down in South America, um, the, the description is really kind of interesting of what's going on in the uh, Ecuadorian forest, and uh, my but he's still trying to get the team back to go back down and take a look. But the, they said he, the, he's uh, just completely amazed on what he saw between the primate features and the, uh, the human-like features of this creature. And that's about the best I've got right off the top of my head tonight. You know, there's always the old good old Whitehall, but uh, the Mopinguari thing has is, is really been an interesting uh Thing to go ahead and look because not too far from where they were where they get the Caracas skulls and uh, you have those tall uh, creatures you know the skulls from down there totally that's wild man what part of western New York are you and I'm up in Ontario near Toronto uh, I'm just south of Rochester oh nice yeah that's real close yep cool man we'll have to go squatching when the, the plague ends as soon as the border opens, um, I hope to get over to your side. I've got some contacts up on that side. And... Yeah, Jeremiah showed me a, a video from the the park right near me up here in uh, Burlington, Ontario. Is that Algonquin Park? or? No, no. It's just like a, it's a provincial park. It's a Bronte Creek Provincial Park. It's, it's so close to me. Uh, cool. Well, that was an awesome story, Mike. That was like, I know you've talked to me about that before, but man, that's, that's just so cool. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, Mike. Like I can already tell, man, you are, you're a wealth of knowledge and I'm, I'm glad you're, you're here tonight. Uh, do you mind, uh, uh picking up the next person up? Looks like we got, uh, we got Tate, Jeff, Kenzie, or, uh, uh, Maddie, just to let you know what's going on tonight. Uh, we are uh, sharing our uh, favorite um, uh, Bigfoot story, kind of like we're around the campfire. So you can go ahead, Mike, and uh, choose someone up next. Well, seeing as Jeff came in behind me, I guess I will pick on Jeff. <laughs> right. 
nice nice to hear those uh, stories about the Mapinguari. That's pretty cool. And the of course the Caracas skulls. <laughs> um, so if uh, anyone doesn't know me, hi, I'm Jeff uh, from Strangeology. You can find me over on Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, um, and uh, do a little podcasting, a little blogging, and uh, t-shirt designs. So a lot, lot, of, lot of moving parts, but um, I figured I'd uh, share some, some stories from uh, New England again, uh, but from Vermont this time. I was gonna mention White Hall, but obviously, you know, <laughs> everyone knows White Hall. Uh, but one of the, the stories uh, uh, that I found interesting coming from um, Vermont and I don't remember exactly where I was reading about this, but I had, I have like a, a list of uh, stories that uh, f from Vermont that I had uh, compiled. So when I found out about what the topic was for tonight, I was like, oh, that's going to come in really handy tonight. <laughs> um, so this, uh, the first one I have on my list, um, actually, uh, if anyone's familiar with the, um, there there was like a a trail cam photo of an alleged uh bigfoot uh this retiree frank i'm gonna butcher his last name uh Cy Sienski. uh he solinsky solinsky thank you <laughs> so he was the guy that he was from vermont and uh, he captured this alleged uh bigfoot on his trail trail cam in, in 2012 um and skeptics think it was just a bear or maybe an owl hard to tell but um i guess he's got like bigfoot statues and stuff up on his lawn now <laughs> and a bigfoot vanity uh license plate on his car so there, there's some bigfoot activity in vermont for sure um in back in the 80s there was this guy um dax rushlow in newport right on the canadian border and uh in when he was, uh, I think, like six, seven years old, he, I, he was staying at uh, overnight at his friend's house, and uh, him and his friend were were up late, as you do during a sleepover, and I guess they walked by uh, a window, looking, you know, outside, just seeing what was going on, and it, like the yard and the the driveway were illuminated a little bit by the floodlight that the house had that I guess, you know, his friend's parents kept on at night and they saw this like large shadowy figure moving down his friend's driveway and it walked by his friend's uh, dad's pickup truck, then went across the main road uh, where you could see like a guardrail across the street and it went down this embankment into a river and whatever this figure was, they couldn't really get too much detail on it other than the shape of it and the size uh it was tall enough that it didn't need to bend down to reach the guardrail just kind of just walked right over it and it's apparently its arms were reached down to the top of the guardrail <laughs> it's just like no effort just kind of like went down the embankment and disappeared uh but then apparently uh this guy dax rushlow uh years later when he was a teenager he was riding on his snowmobile uh, one night, dead of winter in January, you know, Northeast Kingdom, 
kingdom of Vermont, it, which is a pretty desolate <laughs> place to be in that time of year. Um, and I guess he was, he had been hanging out at his girlfriend's house and it was getting dark. So he, he, uh, went home and it was starting to snow. And instead of like taking his, uh, the, the vast trail back, uh, the vast trail is like a network of, um, snowmobile trails all throughout Vermont just as a sidebar uh, he I guess opted to drive on on the main road since it was getting to be like super snowy and he was you know afraid he might get stuck somewhere deep out in the woods and you know uh, bad things will happen uh, and as he was traveling along uh, his snowmobile headlights suddenly hit this large tall creature um, he said it almost looked like a person on stilts, I guess. And he wound up stopping his, his snowmobile like 15 feet away from the creature. And it was standing on a snowbank on the side of the road. And it looked right at him and then looked across the road. And he said he could see that it had dark, uh, dark hair that was kind of like black or gray and blowing in the wind. So that's kind of a cool little detail right there. A little bit of a majestic squatch action going on. Uh, and he said, Dax said uh, he would see like flashes of lighter hair highlighted by the snowmobile headlights. And I guess its face looked kind of confused or agitated, uh, maybe confused by the light um, from his snowmobile uh and yeah just like the details that he he describes of this this creature is pretty kind of like he saw something that night <laughs> um and as far as how big it was he said it looked like it was comparable to the size of a full-grown cow but shaped like a a, biped a bipedal like <laughs> giant neanderthal neanderthal type being um, but yeah, so that's definitely one of the more interesting, uh, stories I've, I've heard of out of, uh, out of where I'm from. And, uh, yeah, I guess it, <laughs> after that, he, he, uh, hit the gas and, uh, sped off <laughs> hoping it wouldn't come after him, I guess. Um, and then even in, uh, in Vermont, uh, as, uh, near back as, 2019, I recently uh, read a story about a uh, retired RN and pilot in uh, Eden, Vermont, which is, uh, gosh, it's still like northern, north central Vermont, probably half an hour, 40 minutes from Newport. Um, so this uh, former nurse, she was... Uh, hanging out on her property one day and in the middle of the day apparently had a Bigfoot walking down her road <laughs> right in the middle of the day and she was familiar she's familiar with like what bears look like as they get into her bird feeders and she's seen them before uh like standing on their hind legs and whatever she saw this day uh she claims that it's not a case of mistaken identity and the the day it was you know 
perfectly sunny day and her dog apparently had started barking in the front yard and was in a kennel, you know, just so it didn't run out into the road. And um, so she went outside to go check and see what was going on and saw this thing walking, (laughs) walking about 125 feet from where she was going up the dirt road that she lived on. And uh, this like black humanoid shape was walking on its uh, bipedally on two legs, um, had long swinging arms. And uh, at first it was kind of like bent over a little bit and stood up. Um, She said its head was pretty round, didn't really have too much of a neck. And uh, according to her, it reminded her a lot of like a chimpanzee in the way that it looked. And she observed it for about 10 to 15 seconds. And then it just kind of went off into the woods and disappeared. And she you know, scan the area for a little while longer uh, to see if it would come out again on on the dirt road. But it was pretty much gone at that point. You know, it's like you only get <laughs> a couple moments uh, in your life if you're lucky to ever, you know, see something like that. But yeah, <laughs> so those are those are some stories from from Vermont. Um, who's gone already? I, I can uh, is Tate. Uh, Tate, have you gone yet? <laughs> no. Dude, can I just make a comment? Like, that's <laughs> crazy that you mentioned that because Dax is a friend of mine. What? And he actually oh, no was <laughs> he was actually one of the first people I ever interviewed about their Bigfoot sightings. And oh, it, wow. it was the second video I ever put on my YouTube channel. And it's like one of my most popular videos still, like over 100,000 views. Like, oh, that, that's awesome. It's, uh, it's such a good story. Like, he, I remember, yeah. He's one of the people that I, when I listen to him, like it really, because I, I was still on the fence back then. I like listening to his story really made me think, like, wow, there, there's like truly something to this. And um, fun fact, he after, you know, he went on to be on the show, the ten million dollar Bigfoot bounty. I don't know if you guys remember that. Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. He was on there, and he had like a lightsaber, and that was like hit kind of his trademark. And uh, um, he's actually was one he of the founding. He was with Richter, yeah, on the same okay. team. I know, who, I know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so he also um, was one of the founding members of Squatchachusetts in uh, the research group in Massachusetts. But, man, like, his story is awesome. So that, that's so cool that you shared it. Yeah, yeah. No, because, I remember, like, like I said, that was literally the first – yeah. one of the first people I ever interviewed about this subject. Well, that's awesome. We're going to have to go back and, and check that out because I remember reading his uh, his his story a while back, and I was like, whoa, that's, like, some <laughs> pretty intense and detailed uh, – stuff there so that's awesome alex <laughs> oh yeah dude I'll, I'll have to shoot you the uh, i'll shoot you the video link for sure yeah definitely do thanks yeah before tate starts uh, i just want to say anyone listening to this if you haven't checked out sasquatch out of the shadows uh alex's youtube channel go there right after this check it out subscribe some amazing content on there so thanks again alex for doing that channel but uh tate i believe you're up man can I interrupt for just one Go second? Go ahead, Mike, yeah. Uh, Jeff, it's kind of ironic that I picked you, and the, for the first one you picked is Frank's location. That was the second location that I ever got to go investigate with Steve Culls. I actually got to go onto the property, meet Frank, and actually see where they had the trail cam and everything set up. And that's not a piece of property you want to go on to uh, 
lightly. Let's just put it that way. Wow. Uh, he, wow. Yeah, I got to see the original trail cam footage or uh, photos and everything else. So it's, it's definitely an interesting uh, coordinate off piece of property. So, uh, and there were actually multiple sightings down the road. And I got to see a lot of the uh, the technical research that was done by the scientists and stuff. So, uh, thanks for following me up and and bringing that one up. So appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. <laughs> Does a personal story is that fine? Tate, you got it, man. Go for it. All right, I'll try and not bore you guys. Uh, this is no, Tate this is a, from the Bluff Creek yeah. podcast. <laughs> I deserve no introduction. Um, AK PBR enthusiast number one. <laughs> that is true. Go Very check true. out the Bluff Creek Project podcast, guys. This is Tate, one of the hosts. Go ahead, Tate. Um, so this was in the Bluff Creek area. We were out there on a trip. I think it was in July. Um, so we went to this place called Onion Lake. Uh, we were going up there to just do the night investigation. Two of us went kind of towards the lake, and a couple other people went down towards this. Um, they went, like they kind of walked down this old logging trail that used to be there, and so we were making calls, kind of just back and forth, and you know, communicating over the radio, not really hearing much, probably for about an hour or so. And they, uh, the other two guys, eventually came up and met with us at the lake because there's like a little campground there, and we were kind of in the shadows of that. Uh, campground underneath the tree so we could see the lake and there's kind of like a little meadow going uphill into the forest so we're kind of sitting around there and I decided to take like this two by four that I had and there's like this make makeshift table built into the tree at the campground there and I was like I'll do I'll do a couple wood knocks so I just did two wood knocks as hard as loud as I could and that thing echoed as it was pretty pretty insane and we heard a wood knock um kind of up behind that little meadow area and we were all kind of like listening unfortunately we did not get it on audio so we were kind of just listening to that and then um one of the guys that was with us he had a dog there um she keyed on to something walking up and behind that meadow area but we couldn't see it i mean we had thermals and uh, night vision, but unfortunately we didn't really see anything when we heard that one knock, but that's, yeah, that's really all that's really all I got. I couldn't think of any other stories at the moment. Dude, that's an awesome personal story, though. Thank you, Tate. It was the best it was one of the best times I've had squatching in a long time. Wow. That's legit. Did Kenzie go yet? I um, have not. And Maddie, are you going to be sharing a story tonight? I'm probably just going to be listening in tonight. I'm kind of multitasking, but thank you. Right on. So looks like it's down to Kenzie. Cool. I also have a personal story for you guys, and this has never been told to anybody outside of my immediate family, because my immediate family all experienced this. Um, and it's also from New England. <laughs> Sorry, that's the trend tonight, but... I grew up in Hampton, New Hampshire, which is one of the like five seacoast towns that's like along the water in New Hampshire. And um, until I was about eight, we lived in this uh, trailer park that's like in the back of Hampton, like in the woods. And um, this happened when I was probably like five. Um, my parents had this big 
um, St. Bernard. Her name was Pepper. And one night, I, I can't remember what time of year, but I want to say it was like summer or fall um, at like 930 at night. Um, Pepper was outside and she started barking like crazy. And it woke me and my brothers up. I have two brothers and my younger brother and I had shared a room at the time and it woke both of us up. And I walked down the hallway and um, almost immediately as you came out of my bedroom, there was a fire escape door. Um, and since we lived in a trailer, um, the door was probably like three and a half, four feet off of the ground. And um, I stopped at the door because something was scratching at it. And I turned and I looked in the window in the fire escape door and there was a literal face that was like hairy and like large staring back at me. Um, and being like a small child, I started screaming. Uh, my younger brother ran out behind me. He started screaming. My parents started freaking out. My um, older brother, who was probably like 11 or 12 at the time, um, ran outside, grabbed Pepper and pulled her inside. Um, and my dad went outside to go try to see what it was because my parents thought that it might be a bear. And they were worried um, about there being a bear near where we were living because, you know, my parents had a bunch of small kids. And um, so my dad went outside, he started screaming. And then my mom went outside and she started screaming. And then my parents <laughs> ran inside. They made everybody sit in the middle of the living room, locked all the doors, locked all the windows, turned off all the lights and called animal control. Um, and then <laughs> while we were waiting for animal control to show up, we were all sitting in the living room together and we could hear something walking around the house, like grunting and like making all of these noises at us, like kind of just like pacing around our home. And then like, not even five minutes later, we heard it just kind of like really like heavy, like steps kind of run away across the road into the woods. Um, and animal control showed up probably like 10 minutes after that. My parents sent me and my brothers back to bed and um, told us to just like not even acknowledge that it happened. And they never really talked about what animal control found after that. But when my brothers and I went and did our own investigating because we wanted to know what it was, there were a bunch of footprints um, in front of the fire escape door outside and a bunch of hair um that definitely didn't come from a bear because uh, it was really light colored um like light light colored like almost blonde and yeah and it was like super crazy and weird and like my family kind of just like stopped talking about it <laughs> and they were just kind of like we're gonna put this like in our brain like in our deep memory area and um i think probably like six months later they built an addition onto the trailer where that fire escape door was so it didn't exist anymore and then we moved so i don't really know what happened but my entire family's like very convinced that it was a sasquatch um and we never really had any other experiences past that in that area so i don't know that's why that's what i got for you guys that's amazing kenzie can you uh, tell the listeners real quick uh, where to hear uh, more of you if this is their first episode. Yeah, so I'm the host of a podcast called the Crypto Chats Podcast. You can find me on Instagram at uh, the Crypto Chats Podcast or Crypto Daddy. Doesn't matter either one. Um, and my podcast is like basically anywhere you can listen to a podcast. 
So I have a question for you about that story. So, uh, and I may have missed this part, but so you're saying your, your family kind of like put it out of their minds. Did you ever ask your parents specifically about that incident or did it just, yeah, I mean, I, I spend a lot of time with my dad. Uh, My dad and I are very close. And like, if it weren't for him, I definitely wouldn't be in this like world of cryptozoology and like the paranormal and stuff because he had a huge influence on that um, when I was a small kid. But he also has his main focus is definitely like the paranormal and ghosts. So um, he did not even really like care a lot about cryptozoology until like the last year or so. And every time I've ever brought it up to him, he's kind of just been like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. And my mom is afraid of her own shadow. So she will not even acknowledge that you are speaking if you try to bring it up to her. And my brothers and I have all kind of talked about it a lot. And we're all on the same page of like, yeah, that's probably what it was. But my parents, like, they won't talk to us about it. That's that so cool. Oh, man. Yeah. That's awesome. I love another New Hampshire story. I have not ever actually ever heard of any, like, encounters in the Seacoast area. I know, I mean, like, on closer to the beach as Hampton is, but um, I'd have to tell my buddy Carrick. He's He lives in Hampton, and, you know, he's really big on the, the Bigfoot in New Hampshire beat. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, like, you know, when I got a little bit older and, like, started to have access to, like, a computer and, like, the Internet and stuff, I did do my own research to try to figure out like what the probability of it being a bear and stuff was. Um, and like, you know, the seacoast hasn't had a bear sighting since like 2013. And before that, the, the most recent one was like 30 years prior. So like bears aren't really, you know, hanging around Hampton, New Hampshire that much. They're not really going to the beach. Um, and I mean, as far as like other Sasquatch sightings in the area, like I haven't found anything either. And I don't know if it's like, you know, the same situation with my family where, like, they don't want to talk about it because they're all afraid um, or whatever. But I don't know. I mean, like, the only reason I haven't talked about it on the Internet or anything at this point is because my family is also scared of it that I don't I don't want to, like, dredge that up for them. But at the same time, it's like it was a cool experience and, like, definitely shaped who I am today. So, you know. Yeah, and it's a it's a perfect podcast to to tell the story on because no one listens to the Bigfoot Society podcast, so you're good. Uh, <laughs> uh, man, guys, this has been like the perfect podcast episode. I think like there's been something for everyone in this episode. Thank you all for sharing your like personal stories or stories that you've you know read somewhere. Like this has been extremely awesome. Uh, people that are listening to this, uh, listeners, uh, make sure that you're checking out the show notes for this. I'm going to have, you know, the projects that, uh, everyone in the, uh, the panel is, uh, working on, check them out, you know, follow them on Instagram. Also some of, there's some YouTube channels, some podcasts, make sure you check them out. I mean, everyone that's been talking today is, are people that I definitely trust, but, uh, we're going to go ahead uh, well, I'm going to check real quick. Oh, Did Jeremiah. anyone else have something else to add? Go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to shout out to Lauren from uh, Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio. Totally. Uh, she, she is listening in tonight. She just has a little one sleeping nearby. So Definitely. I'm a big fan of Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio. Thanks so much for, for hanging out with us uh, tonight, Lauren, and definitely hope the little one feels better soon. Chicken taquitos. 
<laughs> uh, with, the, with that, I think that's a perfect end to the recording part of the episode. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, stop recording. Thanks for listening, uh, guys.